You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, within the context of a church, it's not necessarily a tough act to follow somebody talking about money. So, Joe, thanks for making my job a little bit easier. Let me, um, let, let's, let, let me have you stand up real quick. I don't know if you, if you normally do this, but I'd love to have you guys stand up for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, taking a little break of you guys to study through Ephesians. Let me read Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father God, we thank you for your word and the opportunity and privilege that we have as your church to read it, to study it, uh, and to proclaim it. Would you give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning, and would you season my speech in such a way as to to allow the word even have uh, more fruit uh, in our midst? God, we pray this all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. I want to start by asking you a, a simple question, but I think it's an important question, and it's this. What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, what compels you to start your day? Do you have a purpose to live for? I think it's important, almost essential for, for anyone who's made in the image of God to find a purpose to live for, but particularly for those who are followers of Christ uh, to, to have that purpose to live for that, that exceeds our own little bubble, our own little life, our own mini kingdom. Before God called me into ministry, I worked as a a PE teacher uh, in the uh, public schools in Omaha. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, those who can't do, teach, and those who can't teach, teach PE. Okay? That's what I did. Um, and, and, and I taught prior to the Lord saving me. And, and as I reflect on that day uh, and that time in my life, and I think about my purpose, my purpose probably was I need, I need to get up, 
I need, I need to go to work. Uh, there's, there's an aspect of me needing to provide for my family so that maybe we can experience life the way that we want to experience it, so we can have fun and travel and play. Uh, but, but my purpose was, was very much serving my own kingdom. And then God, about 12 years ago, awakened my heart for, for the glory of him and his son and for the kingdom, uh, and it, it almost opened up the roof, uh, so to say, for my purpose. Uh, the purpose was much less self-serving uh, because as God captivated my heart, I realized that I existed for him and him alone. Therefore, my, my purpose, my vision began to become, I, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to honor God in my life, in, in my work, as I'm interacting with people. I want to love my neighbor as I would love myself. And, and it began to give me a broader purpose than just getting up and going to work and serving myself. We need a purpose. Um, took my, do we have, are there any Nebraska football fans? It's an oxymoron. <laughs> are there any football fans who live in Nebraska here? Okay, so um, last night had the great opportunity to take two of my boys to their very first Husker football game, which was great. We got down there early, we tailgated, um, they, they did the tunnel walk, there was a flyover, it was really exciting, and then kickoff happened and it all went downhill from there. But <laughs> one thing I realized was, as I'm watching that game, and <laughs> I, I told Joe, we left before halftime because my kids were just worn out and exhausted, six and four years old, they can't make it that long for a night game. We're driving home, um, and, I, and, I, and they were coming out, I would listen to the radio, and they were coming out after halftime, uh, and the, the announcer was saying that the players need, need to have something to exist for that's more than just winning the game, right? Like, that was already done. They weren't going to win the game, but, but they needed, they needed to, to live for something. Like, they needed to play for something that was greater than just wins or losses because that was put away. And, and I think that's true. For, for them to actually get up and engage, when things are going bad, you need to have a purpose that kind of drives you forward. And when things are going good, you need to have a purpose that kind of brings you bearing. Um, so that's why um, I think it's really important for churches, for communities, to, to help to remind us of what our purpose is, what we exist for. And if you're newer to the well, I, I think this is a good opportunity for you guys to wrestle through what do you exist for as a people. Um, and if you've been around for a while, you realize when we think about vision, when we think about purpose for our life, vision, vision leaks. Uh, Andy Stanley, in his book, Visioneering, said that you need to discuss your mission or your vision 21 times before people actually start to hear it. He also says that you have to restate your mission constantly so that things, as things grow and change, you continuously reflect that mission, that mission or that vision. So here's, here's the, the vision statement or the mission statement for the Well Church. Pulled off your guys' website. The Well Church is a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God. And church family, I want to I pause there for a moment. That, that, that's your mission, okay? That's not, that's not the church as some sort of abstract, ethereal thing. Uh, we often say at Quorum Deo, the church I serve at in Omaha, that the church is a people, not a place. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about a people, and when we talk about the mission of the church, we're not talking about something that just exists on a wall or on a website somewhere. This is what you live for. This is what you are devoted to. So you, me, we, we exist to glorify God by growing missionally engaged disciples who 
Glorify God. That's your mission. That's my mission. That's our mission together. This is what we exist for. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is particularly the mission of making disciples. And even more particularly, what kind of disciples we are becoming, and therefore, what kind of disciples are we desiring to make? And if, to do so, I, I want to go to Colossians 1. I want to spend time there, so uh, hopefully you're still there. Um, you heard it read. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, who is arguably the most effective church planter and evangelist the world has ever seen, is writing to the church in Colossae. And after his initial greeting, he commends them for being disciples who learn, grow, and produce. And this, my friends, this is the type of disciples that we want to become and we want to make at the well. We, we exist to make disciples who learn, who grow, and who produce. So, so what I want to do is I want to look at each of those three different facets of what it means to be a disciple. We exist to make disciples who learn. If you look at me at, at verses five through seven, it says this. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Friends, to be a disciple is to be a learner. Paul makes it clear that being a disciple requires more than just listening to a presentation and signing on a dotted line. Being a disciple involves the systematic instruction of the faith, and, and, and how to live as a Christian. Disciples are people who want to come under Jesus' teaching, who want to submit to his ways, and learn what it means to live life for his glory. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we sit under the teaching and preaching of the word. This is why we immerse ourselves in communities with other wise and godly people to help to train us and to grow and to mature. There's a learning component there. So disciples are learners, and where does that learning start? It starts with the grace of God and truth and the word of truth, the gospel. So we, we need to learn as disciples what is the gospel. And knowing that answer to that question is essential to any sort of life of discipleship. So I want to answer that question as precisely and as clearly as, as I can using a definition that we often use at uh, the church that I serve at. And it's this, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel, first and foremost, is good news, not good advice. It's good news that needs to be proclaimed. It's a message that must be proclaimed with zeal and with passion and with purpose. Okay, It is good news. But what is the message to be proclaimed? Well, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. That God, being holy and majestic and all-powerful and good, 
has chosen in his grace and in his mercy to reach out, initiating a relationship and extending that grace and mercy and love to those who in their sin have rebelled against him, have rebelled against his purposes, have rebelled against his kingdom. God is the initiator. God is the saver. And he's moving out towards us. And how does he do this? Well, again, the the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the obedient life, the substitutionary death, and the bodily resurrection of Christ. Jesus Christ lived the life you have been unable to live. Jesus Christ died as a substitute for you in your place for your sins. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead in bodily form, securing for his people victory over sin and Satan and death. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we cling to as believers, as Christians, with every fiber of our being, and this is our ultimate hope as disciples. And, and perhaps, perhaps you're, you're not a Christian in the room. Perhaps you're here and you're, just, you're interested, uh, you're intrigued by the gospel, but, but your mind ultimately goes to, so, so you really believe that, that there was a man named Jesus who was the son of God, God incarnate, who came into, into the world. He lived a flawless, perfect life. And, and then at the end of that perfect life, he was crucified and he was murdered. But, but not only that, uh, he was buried. And then three days after his burial, he, he rose from the dead in bodily form. And he came back and he walked with his disciples and he taught his disciples. And then, and then there was a day where he actually ascended and went up into heaven where he now rules and reigns, and, and you tell me you believe that, that he's going to come again to judge both the living and the dead. You're, you're telling me, Christian, you believe those things. And I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. And anybody can get in on this, right? This is the beauty, this is the mystery, this is the profound nature of the gospel. Paul says to the church, <clears throat> says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. I just want to ask you this question. As we're thinking about this idea that, that, that a disciple is a learner, who is your Epaphras? Who is the one who told you first about the grace of God in truth? Who's the one who helped you understand the gospel? Today might be actually a great day to pull them aside, to, to write them a note, to, to give them a phone call and just simply say thank you. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for helping me to understand the gospel. And let me remind you, you not only exist to be a disciple, you exist to make disciples. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you're actually invited to be an Epaphras. You've been invited to be a faithful minister of Christ. And there's no better way to grow as a learner than being put in the position of a teacher. So if you're out there thinking, I I couldn't possibly make disciples. I I don't know enough. I haven't been exposed to enough. I got much more to learn. Right? That's the whole point. Uh, The moment you begin to initiate yourself in relationship with somebody, wanting to teach them, wanting to help them grow, that's actually oftentimes the way that God will work in your own life to help you grow. Right? Trying to explain something 
uh, to somebody is a great way to learn. So we exist to make disciples who learn the gospel. But, but it doesn't just stop there. We exist to make disciples who grow. One of the, the biggest dangers I've seen in, in the church and in the evangelical church over the years is the tendency to exchange uh, experiencing ongoing gospel growth in their life with the experience, past tense, of a gospel moment. In, in other words, I know a lot of Christians who will look back on their own life and say, I remember that moment when. I remember that moment when God saved me. Uh, but, but since that moment, there hasn't been much growth. There hasn't been much maturity. They, they maybe submitted themselves to Christ and, and, and kind of moved their allegiance over to a certain spot, but there's not this ongoing growth in the gospel. But friends, we, de- we, we strive, we deeply desire to want to make disciples who are growing. The Apostle Paul, writing this letter, commends the church for their growth. In verse 6, he says, The gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Some translations say growing, as it also does among you. These disciples, because, because of the gospel, are growing. You see, the gospel is not only your means for salvation, but it's also the means for your transformation. You never graduate from the gospel. Right? We often say that the gospel is not simply the ABCs of Christianity. It's not the basic building blocks that you have to understand. It's the A to Z. You'll spend your whole life exploring the depth and the riches of of the gospel. The gospel is everything. And for the disciple, the gospel is the power of God that empowers you to grow into maturity, into the image of Christ. So how do we grow as disciples? As a, as a young Christian, this diagram that I think we have a slide for that, that we can throw up, there it is, um, known as the cross chart, was very influential for me in helping me understand how the Christian life involves ongoing growth in the gospel. See, the starting point of the Christian life comes when I first become aware of the gap between God's holiness and my own sinfulness. And, and at that point, what happens as a Christian is I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and that, that's conversion, that, that I trust and hope in Jesus, who has done what I, I could never do on my own. He bridges the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness. And yet, in the beginning, we actually have a very limited awareness of God's holiness and our own sinfulness. And in turn, our our understanding of what Christ has done is fairly small. But as you grow in the gospel, you grow in your awareness of God's holiness. And it's not that God actually becomes more holy. He doesn't become more holy. It's just that you become more aware. For me, this process started when I began to meditate on the character and the nature of God the depth of his love and his grace and his mercy, the strength of his power and might, the justice of his rule and reign. All these things increased my awareness of God's holiness. But what really unlocked it for me was this idea of the incommunicable attributes of God. I know that's a, that's a large word. I, I paid a few thousand dollars at seminary to learn that word and to, to say that to you. Um, but the incommunicable attributes of God are attributes of God, aspects of who he is that don't get communicated to us. We don't get to experience them the way that God is. For example, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. Okay? 
Now, there's some of you in the room who, who are more bent towards study. Uh, you like to learn. You, you want to you go through programs like Porterbrook. You want to grow as disciples, but you just want to read. You want to consume, consume information, and that's great. And, and I respect that work, but I, but I want you to realize that God knows every word ever written in every book that has ever been published, that sits in every library that's ever been made. Okay? God knows far more than you do, right? And, and some of you aren't necessarily the academic types. You're more of the street smart types, okay? Let me just make you aware. Jesus had, has far greater street smarts than you did, okay? God has far greater street smarts than, than you do. You oftentimes get your street smarts through trial and error, right? You make some mistakes, you learn from it, and you adapt, right? God never makes mistakes, right? God understands deeply how everything works. So that's one attribute. How about, how about this one? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He's not bound to be in a certain place at a certain time. Now, I know we get some help with this, uh, things like social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, things like that. You feel like you can be in a lot of places at one time, right? Um, I, can, I can scroll on my Facebook page and feel like I, I know what's going on at the well in Hastings because Joe posts stuff on social media, which is great, right? But I'm not actually there, right? I'm not actually here. God knows all, but God is, is everywhere. See, even this morning, God is, is actually present in every church that's gathered together across the globe in this very moment. How magnificent is our God? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. So, for example, next summer, um, I'm going to want to do some renovating at my house, especially in the front, in the landscape area, right? It's just kind of shabby, and we need to clean it up a little bit. Uh, here's how that's going to happen. Uh, it's it's going to, in my mind, be one weekend that I'm going to set aside to do some landscaping. That one weekend is going to turn into four, um, and that one trip to Home Depot is going to turn into 17, okay? And, and it's going to take forever to get something simple like that done, right? God is all-powerful. God um, created the whole world out of nothing simply by speaking it, okay? So, so what it means to grow in the gospel is to grow in our, in our awareness of who God is, to meditate on those things, to, um, to live all of life before the face of this God. And as your awareness of God's holiness grows, so will your awareness of your own limitations, your own weaknesses, your own sin. And you'll begin to, to reckon with the fact that you just don't measure up in comparison to this God. And as your understanding of God's holiness grows and as your understanding of your own sinfulness grows, what else grows? Your appreciation and your love for Jesus. The cross becomes bigger and more meaningful in your life, resulting in more worship for your Savior who died upon it. See, the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf casts a larger and larger shadow into every aspect of your life and that changes you, that matures you. See, the life of a disciple is the continuous rediscovery of what Jesus accomplished on the cross on your behalf. This journey of growing in the gospel is what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. Last, last summer, a few months ago, I took my family on a vacation to Black Hills, South Dakota. Um, it's 
if you haven't been there, it's like lower scale Rocky Mountain National Park that's much more family friendly and doesn't cost you as much to get there. So I like it. My family likes it. Um, but one of the things I realized when we were out there in the Black Hills, and you can hike wherever you want, uh, but one thing I realized as we were going hiking as a family through the Black Hills is, is until you find the trailhead to begin going on the trail, you're not actually hiking. You're just lost, right? Like you're just wandering. You're exploring the hills. You're not, you're not going anywhere. But, but the moment you find the trailhead and you get, kind of begin journeying on the trail, then, then you're actually hiking, right? Then you're actually doing something. See, most, most people reckon with the fact that the gospel, they think of the gospel as, as simply just the trailhead. Right? It's, it's just, it's, it's how I get in, it's how I get started, and then I move from the gospel and I move on. And friends, I just want to invite you, that's not the case in Christianity. See, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus Christ is that, is that he is the trailhead. He is the beginning, but he's the trail too. So I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're wanting to grow as a disciple, don't leave the gospel. Don't leave Christ. Don't think, okay, yeah, I know this, but now I need to go work hard. I got to go try, try better. It's just not the case. Continue to humble yourself before the Lord. And I invite you to see with new eyes that, that the gospel of Jesus is both the trailhead and the trail. So we want to make disciples who learn the gospel. We want to make disciples who grow in the gospel. Uh, but we also strive to make disciples who produce. Again, back to verse 6. Paul says, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit. These disciples, because of the gospel, are bearing fruit. They're producing something. The Bible often uses agricultural analogies to talk about the Christian life. Now, I know I'm a, I'm a kid from Omaha who now is an uh, adult who lives in Omaha. Uh, and, and you might think, okay, city, not, much, not very familiar with agricultural themes, don't know how to plant anything, that's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll let you think that. Um, but I got a garden, right? <laughs> like, we, 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 we've learned a thing or two, right? I know that, that, that you, need to, you, need to, you need to take a seed, you need to take that seed and you need to plant it in some healthy soil, and when you give that, that seed planted in healthy soil some time and you nourish it with the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of water, you're going to have something grow. It will bear fruit. Now, in my house this last summer, it, it, we get some tomatoes, we get some cucumbers, but we also brought a dog into the family, so now the dog goes out and eats all that stuff before we can actually enjoy it. But it doesn't, doesn't counter the fact that, that the plant does bear fruit. See, the question that needs to be answered is, what is actually then produced when men and women have the seed of the gospel planted into soft and teachable hearts and are given time, are given a safe environment to grow under the teaching of the word of God in the midst of a healthy, loving community? Well, Paul answers that question for us when he commends the church in Colossae for being disciples who produce virtue. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It goes on in verse 8 to say that, that Epaphras has made known to them your love in the Spirit. See, faith, hope, love, these three virtues are frequently mentioned in the Pauline letters. It's as though he sees these virtues as distinct marks of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5, you don't have to go there, I got these verses for you, they should be up on the slide. Galatians 5, it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Then even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, very similar introduction to what we see in Colossians. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we exist to be and we exist to make disciples who produce gospel virtue. And in the same way that you can't walk up to a dry garden bed and by sheer will produce fruits and vegetables, you simply can't produce these virtues of faith, of hope, and of love by just trying to be a better version of yourself. See, if you want to become a more faithful person, don't aim at faith and try to do it in your own strength. Look to the one who is faithful in the midst of your unfaithfulness. And when you see Jesus' faithfulness on your behalf, faithfulness will begin to be produced within you. If you want to become a more hopeful person, don't aim at hope and try to produce it in your own strength. Look to the one who gives you true hope. When you see the promises of Jesus for complete salvation and his coming kingdom where there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sin, hope will be produced in you. You want to become a more loving person? Don't aim at love and just try to do it in your own strength. Look to the one who loved you when you were unlovable. And when you see Jesus' selfless love for you being expressed on the cross, love will begin to be produced within you. Listen, friends, trying harder is exhausting. And self-help just does not work. It doesn't produce lasting virtue. That's why we're not into three steps to being a more loving person, five simple ways to a hope-filled life, or seven strategies to a life of faith. See, the well is very much like Coram Deo Church in Omaha in that that we're gospel-centered. And when we say that we're gospel-centered, we actually mean it. We, We want to make and we want to become disciples who learn the gospel, who grow in the gospel, and who produce gospel virtue. And to the degree that you are captivated by Jesus, and his gospel, it's to that same degree you will experience true faith 
true hope and true love in your own life. Let me pray for you guys. The Lord would empower you to be this type of a disciple. And he'd help you to, to make these types of disciples. Father, thank you for your grace and for your goodness and for the gospel. Thank you that you gave your only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us to be a sacrifice, to not simply just be, be the one who, who shows us uh, how to live, although he does that and we cherish that. Thank you that Jesus is the one who sets us free from sin, sets us free from ourselves and gives us a greater purpose and a greater vision to live for. Thank you for the vision and the purpose of making disciples. And I pray for this community, Lord, that you would so overwhelm the people of the well with an experience of your grace, uh, that they would just be compelled uh, to be obedient, worshipful followers of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as they do so, would you open the door for the gospel to go out? Would you create new relationships uh, to share the gospel? And would you help this to be a safe, healthy community filled with your spirit uh, that gives the right amount of time and encouragement and instruction for people to mature in their faith and to grow as disciples. Men and women who are marked by faith and hope and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.